0: Welcome back. It's that time again. Another episode of Banter Banter. Recently, we talked about the things that we spend our time doing with everything that's been going on. And I know we've all kind of had a decent amount of time to sit back and catch up on a few shows you've been missing. I enjoyed binge-watching Glow. Hilarious. But... The real focus tonight is I was rewatching Avatar The Last Airbender, and while I was watching it, I was thinking about the two worlds that I'm currently running two individual tabletop games in, and how deep the world that we get in Avatar The Last Airbender is.
1: Having a fleshed out world is definitely important. So, Mike, when was your first exposure to this series? Do you remember?
0: I would say around
1: 2015 or so. All right. So it was a bit after its original run? Yes. Yeah, there was an interesting thing for me. I had gotten into it, I think, a bit while it was still airing new episodes. But once they were already starting to rerun some of the earlier parts of the show... Then I left college and decided I didn't need cable. I'm getting on this newfangled service, as Mike would put it, the bottom. And then I just sort of lost track of it. It was interesting because after a while, I think after it just sort of melded into the back of my mind, they decided to do that live action adaptation with... M. Night Shyamalan, which is probably the last time I will say his name without any sort of irreverence. (laughs) And I will say, at the time, having as much distance from the original property, it was kind of boring to me. It wasn't bad. But I think when you compare it directly to the show again, you realize that it kind of is bad. I guess it's just sort of I'd separated myself from it for a while. Well, this was my wife's first exposure to the property. And this sort of fired her up to want to learn more about it. And that sort of got me to be like, oh, yeah, no, I remember this when it was, you know, just an animated series. And I went out of my way to have us get a hold of it and we watched the home release version from beginning to end and that's when I finally got to see the entire series which was probably closer to like 2014 maybe 2015 as well
2: you know I actually had a similar experience with Avatar the Last Airbender I never caught it while it was airing on Nickelodeon it's not that the show disinterested me but I think I just had other things going on or other shows I was watching So I never really gave the show the attention that it so rightly deserves. I did, however, watch the entire series with a mutual friend of ours, and he showed me the entire series. I would go over to his house every once in a while and we would watch four or five episodes because he always went on and on about how incredible the show is, how incredible the writing is, and that it has like one of the greatest conclusions and character development of any uh, animated show that's ever been made, ever. And quite frankly, I finished the show with him just a month or two before I left. And as a going away present for me, he actually got me the entire DVD collection of Avatar The Last Airbender. Something to remember our time by, and it was a very thoughtful gift, and I appreciated it. And after seeing the show, I can say 100% it is one of the most incredible experiences that you can ever have watching an animated television show.
1: You know, I guess I would have to amend my timeline. I just looked up when the movie had come out. It was June 30th, 2010, which, hey, I guess that means we're getting close to celebrating a decade since that film, which may not have been super great. Redrew me into the world of Avatar The Last Airbender.
2: I had never bothered with the M. Night Shyamalan adaptation. I mean, I hear it's a movie, like it has all those qualifiers to make it a movie, but it's not necessarily good. I think the fact that the movie is under two hours long was a bit of a detriment for it. Because I think it's supposed to cover all of the first book, which also would be considered the first season.
1: I guess to keep my thoughts short, because I know, Mike, you had a place you were trying to lead this, but I understand the pitfalls of adapting a work into a short screenplay. And honestly, we could place the same lens on things like the adaptation of J.R.R. Tolkien's work and basically any other popular film-to-book adaptation. But I think the biggest pitfall was definitely in the direction and the decisions that were made about the tone of the film, which I guess this would be the best time to comment that I feel the thing I enjoyed the most about the series was that it had a good rhythm about mixing serious moments with light-hearted and comedic sections, which I feel the film totally did away with and instead tried to go for what was popular at the time with you know your zack snyder films and everything else where everything had to be darker and somber in tone so i think that's where my disagreement with the adaptation is and
0: that brings me to something that i don't think it was in the movie and i liked this subtle reoccurring character who creates an extension of the depth of the world The traveling cabbage salesman.
1: Arguably the best character.
0: The best character, hands down. The fact that there is a fresh produce market that is constantly rotating around from city to city is pretty amazing. Like, that's a subtle thing in the world that really gives it that extra
2: oomph. Here's a question. Is the cabbage salesman following Angan Company, or is Angan Company following the cabbage salesman?
1: Or is it a coincidence where rather there is a certain trade route of distribution from the farmers of cabbages to the markets they are sold at, and they happen to be traveling just at that point of the year?
2: Oh, come now, Manny coincidences in this story would just be preposterous
1: if alanis morissette was
0: here she might call it ironic
2: okay that's your one you get one today and that's it
0: so another thing that i enjoyed is when ang is back in one of the earth nation cities trying to find his friend boomy and you find out that the city that they are in is full of mail service shoots for them to deliver mail. The fact that there's a postage service in this city, and this city built a network of paths to deliver that stuff.
2: It's incredibly smart. And even though it does require earthbenders to operate it in certain sections and to propel it forward or to slow it, it's a very ingenious system.
0: And then the fact that you've got a bunch of children
1: going around using it like a giant playground.
2: Each slide weighing at least a ton.
1: Well, I don't think that children were encouraged to use it, but this was something that young Boomy and Aang back in the day took advantage of.
2: That's a story I want to see. How did Boomy go from being Boomy to being the leader of that city of the Earth Nation?
0: Was he not the heir apparent
2: oh was he the heir apparent he might have been i don't know if it ever went into that
0: i kind of assumed since he was able to get away with it all the time
2: yeah that's true
1: it's possible i have not watched the entire series that recently
2: i have not either but i have been wanting to because not only us are talking about now but i've been talking about it with my friends at work a lot too so i think it's about time to revisit the magical world of the avatar
1: i think it's kind of gotten back into prominence since the popular predominantly red video streaming service has decided to fund the two people credited for the show's creation they've decided to pay them to make a live action adaptation I believe it's going to be a series of Avatar The Last Airbender.
2: I really have no idea how I feel about that.
1: Or Legend of Aang, as it is known internationally. To touch
0: back on something earlier mentioned, my interaction with this show was also binging it with a friend, but then we moved straight on to The Legend of Korra. So I saw this world in two snapshots, which gave it extra depth because There's a cyclical evil person going on. It seems that the Fire Nation in and of itself has the tendency to try and overthrow everybody.
1: I think the Fire Nation was only really a major threat until Fire Lord Ozai was overthrown. I think once Prince Zuko ascended to the throne, the Fire Nation was more diplomatic and cooperative. They were definitely more peaceful.
2: It absolutely became a very peaceful nation, and in fact, whenever Zuko retired from being Fire King and left it to his daughter, I believe, he became a diplomat and a humanitarian and a peacekeeper, basically, for the nation.
1: Well, if I could steer us in a little bit of a tangent, I wanted to bring up, I guess, a sort of concern and... I would say something that strikes anyone who is trying to create some form of fiction, whether it's for a tabletop game or maybe you're writing for any other reason. Aaron, I know we've had this discussion before, but it's the concern that what you're coming up with is not original or... Or has already
2: been done before.
1: Right. And... It wasn't until Mike was talking to us about how he wanted to frame today's episode that it came to mind that if you pick a part, and I don't even mean the general flow of story things, things that we could pick on that are a bit more easy for, let's say, an amateur story critique article to try and tackle, but it's things you don't really notice until you haven't pointed out to you like the wildlife of this world and how if you think about it all of that is not original at all they are their own new unique creatures but everything and you notice that this happens a bit more since there is kind of an expansion on it in Legend of Korra that all of these unique creatures are just combinations of existing creatures that are on our version of reality. And if you take everything at its base value, if you had to describe each of these creatures, it comes down to two animals. Like Appa is a combination of a manatee and a bison, and also has additional limbs, which is interesting. Then you have Momo, who is a lemur bat. And then if you look into the creation of the series, you would find that the prototype for companion beast was going to be a polar bear dog which they went ahead and reused for Legend of Korra to make her companion. So you take a look at that and then you also take a look at how they derived the techniques for bending the elements where all of these are predominantly based on martial arts from real life. For example, Tai Chi is the foundation for the basis of water bending poses. There's a martial art called Hong Gar, which is the basis for earth bending. Then you have northern Shaolin styles of Kung Fu working their way in for fire bending, while another type of Kung Fu, Bagua, Is the basis for airbending. So while you could say when you're trying to design your own world, well, I want a style of fighting to exist for these things, or I want certain creatures or certain cultures, if you look at this property that's cherished for everything that it is, all of it has direct ties to things in Earth culture. Nobody sits there and looks at everything and says, oh, well, that's not original, that's just this.
2: Right. There's a parallel they can draw.
1: Right. And there's a way where you can piece together your own world and essentially do enough with it that it takes on a life of its own and it no longer matters what it's based off of.
2: The scariest word in the English Dictionary for someone building a world is the word derivative. I have two cents that I would like to throw in. While I think it is important to have a good and flushed out world that is fun, I don't think it's near as important as who you populate your world with, because you can have an interesting, and entertaining world all day long, but if the characters that are inhabiting that world are boring, then the story's not going to amount to much, because stories are all about characters, not necessarily places. But in this instance with Avatar, it was a perfect marriage of a wonderful world with beautiful concepts and rich history and lore combined with some of the most excellent characterizations that I've ever seen from then and now. In that regard, Avatar truly stands in a league of its own, in my opinion.
1: I think different works of fiction have different balances in terms of what they deem important between character and world building. But I think to single one of these factors out, is to discredit the work that they've put into everything else. And while you're saying that, yeah, this one is a great example of both of those factors working together, I think it holds true for a lot of highly regarded works of fiction. They usually factor in world building and character building.
2: The best kind of worlds, in my opinion, are the ones where the worlds almost seem like to become a character themselves. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and I think there's definitely a lot to say with that within the Avatar franchise as well.
2: Yeah, there is so much to unpack.
1: If you look into the two large cities that they visit in Avatar The Last Airbender, you notice that there's a different attitude where one of them is a bit more aware of the world, but meanwhile you look at the capital, Ba Sing Se, and you see the culture that has been built in there that is completely contrasting with the rest of the world where they have decided to close themselves off and pretend that the war never existed. So I think that also speaks a lot into the politics, how the individual cultures tend to shift and how just within the same nation you have these different attitudes on how to approach their perception of the rest of the world.
2: Absolutely.
0: Every time I think about it, it's fantastic. I don't expect any of my worlds to ever get there in the same sense because I'm focused on a small section being alive for my players instead of a whole globe. I don't need the whole globe. I need a city or a region to be functional to give them stuff to interact with and feel alive. I like this because it really helps remind me of how to make a world feel alive and where that kind of draws itself from
2: and it's very different when you're creating the world just by yourself avatar had the benefit of having several writers kind of helped erect this world that these characters inhabited but when it's just you a one person team making out your lore and your continents and your towns and your cities and your politics and your trade and all those little things that will give life to your world. It's a beast. It's an elephant you got to eat one body at a time, for sure.
0: The real heart of why I am excited to discuss this work with you guys is that you understand the undertakings of creating a homebrew world. And the nuances that can go into making that feel like a real location for your players, as well as not allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by trying to interact with all of it.
2: Yeah, your characters definitely got to care about what they're doing, and it's easier for characters to care when they feel invested in your world and invested in the other characters and conflicts that are currently happening in that world.
0: Sometimes I actually think about taking this world and playing a game inside of it,
1: but the players don't get magic. Oh, so you want it to be like the Witcher where you have this fantasy world, but you're going to spend all of your time playing Gwent? (laughs) Yes. Guilty. Look, that bard can sing. That bard can sing. There you go. That way you can play a game in the world. You're in this world. Play this game. Toss the gold to your Witcher. I get it. Do we get season two already? Before we
0: get ourselves out of this, is there anything from Avatar, the last airbender that you want to bring up that you enjoyed as either a plot point, a character development, a person that you really wish you got to see more of favorite moment, whatever.
1: My favorite moment is the recap episode in book three where our cast of heroes goes to see a play that is based off of Aang's adventures. Now, I heard that a lot of the dialogue from our heroes was on top of the, I guess, the style and quality of the production, was the creators taking a jab at the M. Night Shyamalan film. Go ahead and watch it again, and imagine instead that the characters are watching and commenting on the live-action film.
2: Hmm, okay, that tracks. For me, there is something I want to talk about. I am a sucker, an absolute sucker, for a good redemption story. And I don't think there is a finer redemption story in animation or otherwise than the redemption arc of Prince Zuko from the Fire Nation.
0: I see your Zuko, and I downgrade one to Uncle Iroh. I think you are right. I also enjoy the low-key redemption for Iroh.
2: Yes, because you can definitely tell Iroh has shadows on his soul too, but he has learned how to deal with them. And really, honestly, I kind of feel like Zuko and Iroh are kind of like C-3PO and R2-D2. They're definitely a pair that play well off each other. And the moments that Zuko had with Iroh are some of the most heartwarming and heart-wrenching moments you can ever experience with two characters who love each other. And, you know, Iroh is very partially responsible for who Zuko becomes in the end. Which is nothing less than a hero. You know, you go from hunting down the Avatar to try to regain his honor to rejoin the society of the Fire Nation to teaming up with the Avatar in his entourage to bring down the Fire Nation and bring peace back to the land. So, yes, all things considered, I think Zuko is one of the most incredible characters in that show and that his story is worth telling a
1: thousand times over. They definitely had a good hero, lancer, or I guess to begin with, villain dragon, I think is what the trope is called. It's the relationship that you typically get when you have two characters that play off of each other, and their interactions, particularly from what is called the lancer, will inform and enrich the character that they're focusing on. And usually these relationships aren't necessarily one-sided, where sometimes, in some stories, especially something like this, they tend to sometimes flip and reverse.
0: I want to talk about Iroh, because that's the guy I can't help myself. This man is so... I wouldn't say zen, but I also feel like that is a great description of this man. It almost feels like he was once in Zuko's shoes in the sense of he doesn't know who he is and he's conflicted inside and his two sides are fighting each other. We get to see him post that situation. You don't know what kind of man he was prior to that, but it sounds like he was a man of ambition, of power of hunger desire and now he is calm go with the flow it's as if he embraced the airbender style
2: yeah it's almost as if that all the firebenders have a hot temper or something
1: well mike it's funny that you bring that up as whenever he teaches zuko to redirect lightning he said that he learned the initial parts of that technique from Waterbenders.
0: I love his pearls of wisdom. I love his desire for tea. The simple life. He just wants to run a tea shop in Ba Sing Se and relax.
2: I also love how in the most gentle way possible, he just doesn't take any of Zuko's nonsense.
0: I know that there is so much more we can dive into with just this series avatar the last airbender but i'm gonna have to put that in our pocket and save it for a different day because i don't want to keep everybody here for another eight hours well i do but no one wants to stay that long so as we always do throw a question to our audience we'll
2: see if somebody responds all right i guess i'll go first this time who is your favorite character in avatar the last airbender and why
1: My question to the audience is, what do you think was Avatar Aang's greatest challenge morally within the first season of the series? And my question
0: is, what other subtle things in the world that is Avatar The Last Airbender did you like that made it feel real to you? Or is there a different show or movie that you think did a great job that we should take a look at or should spend time talking about? Let us know. Now remember, stay away from firebenders because you don't
2: want to be on fire.
1: Don't lose it, Agni Kai.
2: It'll be a real scarring experience.
0: please slap some funnies on our banter banter cast facebook page or share mike facts with us on twitter at banter underscore cast or individually
1: at brogar cre for manny
0: you can find me on twitter at mike eight time the number eight
2: you can find aaron at eight bitwizard. the eight is roman numerical
0: a big thanks to blaze animator for the current banter banter artwork seen on our different internet spots and last but not least cheers to brad sucks the creator of this episode's intro and outro song bad attraction off of the album i don't know what i'm doing